Welcome back to the Innovator Podcast, the female entrepreneur series that dives into the stories of how women founders tackled hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan, and I am the host of the Innovator Podcast, and today I'm welcoming Caroline Connor. Caroline is an American-British wine educator with over a decade of experience working in the wine business across both sides of the Atlantic. In 2009, she was awarded Top Taster at the Oxford-Cambridge Varsity Blind Tasting Match. She currently has her Wine and Spirits Education Trust Level 4 Diploma and has recently applied for the Masters of Wine program. Caroline, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Innovator Podcast to talk a little bit about you, your company, all this craziness in life right now. Um, So I'd love for you to start us at the very beginning. What was your early life like and how has your story evolved to get you where you are today? Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. So I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Uh, my my parents were divorced. My mom got remarried, and I was raised there with uh, in a blended family with uh, plenty of siblings. So there were ended up being five of us in blended family. Um, but we somehow managed to all still love each other, which I think is a pretty big achievement. But it's funny because my brother is an entrepreneur, and so is one of my sisters as well. So we definitely have um have something there. I actually moved to London when I was 16 to live with my dad because I grew up with my mom and my stepdad and ended up in the UK for 10 years. That's where I went to college and, you know, got my first jobs. And so I was already kind of European uh, by the time I ended up in France. I went back to America for a few years, but I came back to Europe in 2017 and settled in Lyon, which is um, in the center of France is the culinary capital. Yeah, I um, was very excited when I saw you were doing wine tastings really in a great hub for wine and food. And I think that um, adds a lot of authenticity and excitement to it. Um, So what really led you to France? I know you said you moved to London to be with your dad when you were 16, but what, what allowed you to settle in France? What really interested you in that area? I mean, I think that... I've always had some connections to France. So before my parents got divorced, when I was very little, we lived in France for one year um, when I was four. And so I spoke French as like baby Caroline spoke French. I forgot all of it. And then when I was in my mid-20s in London, I was kind of burned out in my job in London. I came to France for a year to do a wine harvest. And then I was a, a private chef in the Alps for a winter, for a ski season and a waitress in Paris. So I kind of bummed around for a year doing these um, short jobs and got a little bit better at French and just liked, it's a good place to live. I mean, it really, it's a great place to live and it's beautiful and the food's great. And you know, it's, yeah, it's a good place. So when I knew that I wanted to come back to Europe and I wasn't really feeling London anymore, London's just so big. It's like, it's a lot, it's pretty overwhelming. Um, I just didn't really want to go back there. I thought, okay, um, I'll try Paris. And my dad now lives in Paris. So that was helpful too. So I basically was like living on my dad's couch at 30 years old, just trying to like start my life over. Um, But I found Leon because I wanted to visit some friends in the Alps who were still there. And Leon's really close to the Alps. So I decided to come and study here for two weeks to study French intensively. And then I literally picked it so I could take the weekend trip on the train to the mountains to see my friends. And I totally fell in love with it. 
it is a really wonderful city that is uh, the culinary capital of France. Like I said, it's right in the middle of all these great wine regions. It's very beautiful. And it had never occurred to me that I might like a smaller city, but I really, really do. Uh, here we call it uh, human-sized, taille humaine. It is human-sized compared to Paris, which is not. So that was really what, what got me, just really quickly fell in love with it. So now you lead these wine programs. So I'm really curious, where does your love of wine um, and the decision to study the culture of wine come into the story? Obviously, wine is something super interesting to learn about, but I'm kind of curious what you know, first inspired you? Was it the location and getting to move to a place that is so heavily revolved around, you know, a wine and food culture? Oh, no, I've been in wine my entire career. So I've always worked in wine. I got into wine in college. So I moved to London when I was 16. And I started cooking then because my dad uh, couldn't really cook much. And I had a landlady, my landlady was a really great cook, and she taught me how to cook. So I'm sort of 16, 17, I'm really into food. I'm learning how to cook. And I went to college at Oxford. So I'm, I studied archaeology and anthropology, which is super useless degree. But in my second year at Oxford, I sort of stumbled upon one of the wine clubs. And I ended up in a sort of splinter group of the main posh wine club, the wine circle. I ended up in the Blind Tasting Society, which was a club that actually geared up for a competition every year against Cambridge. So I competed in the 2009 Oxford-Cambridge Varsity Blind Wine Tasting Match, which is actually a really big deal in London. It's judged by really famous wine critics, Jancis Robinson and Hugh Johnson. It's a really fun event. And so I had a super unique education in wine when I was like 19, 20. And I got to taste so many different wines and I got to do it in this really unique setting. I think that saved me years of time on what would normally be a formal wine education, which I later did. I got my diploma from the Wine and Spirits Education Trust when I was 25, which is pretty young for that kind of qualification. So I've always been in wine. I, you know, wine just, wine's nerdy. It's great. Not only does it get you drunk and it's delicious, but it's super vast. There's always more to learn. It's obviously great with food, um, but it's, it's a subject that is about, it's about farming. It's about chemistry. It's about geology, geography, it's about politics and history. It's about everything. Anything that you can talk about, I can relate it to wine. So I, I love wine because it's nerdy. That's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's so true. And I love that you can wrap it up into everything because that's what I found with my studies of wine, which are a lot more amateur than yours. Um, so for those unaware of you know, the wine world, can you explain the levels of certification and what you have, because I need the audience to be aware of that you have a very, you have a very high level of certification when it comes to the wine world. Yeah, I do. I mean, so basically different countries have different certifications. The track that I took, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust or the WSET, that comes out of London, but is at this point the most international. So they do it in America, they do it in Australia, they do it very a lot in Asia, and it's very, very popular. It's a, it's a very good course for wine industry people, but it's not necessarily a sommelier course. So people confuse this a lot. Sommeliers technically are wine waiters. So that's the person that works at, an, at a fancy restaurant and runs the wine program there. And so some qualifications are a lot about service and 
the qualification I did isn't, it's um, a lot more, I mean, there's a lot more writing involved and it was more about the global wine trade than it is about service. In America, the qualifications like the Court of Master Psalms, the ma you know Master Sommelier, that is a lot more service oriented and the qualifications there are a lot more service oriented, which is one reason that I think the W set is actually very popular, becoming more popular in America because it serves a greater variety of people within the wine trade. There's a lot more than just sommeliers in the wine trade. So my qualification is the level four diploma. It usually takes about two years and it is the level underneath the master of wine, which would be the next thing that I do. And I actually did apply for the 2020 intake of the master of wine and I should find out soon if I've been accepted into that program. Oh, wow. Okay. That's exciting because I know on your website, <laughs> you said, one day I might do that. And I didn't know that yeah. one day would be now. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I actually, I applied and got in, in 2017. So right when I moved here, I applied, I got in, um, I'm on the track in some ways, you know, especially with my background at Oxford, they, there's a bunch of us that did that same program that are, that are my friends that are masters of wine. Um, and for those who don't know the master of wine, you know, it's super, super hard. It's one of those impossible qualifications. There's like less than 400 people in the world that have it. Not a lot of them are women. It would be a really big deal to get it. It'd be very, very cool, but it's going to be hard work. But I actually dropped out of the program, which is something I had never ever done before. I'm definitely a high achiever, but I, I had just moved to France. My life had not, wasn't really where I wanted it to be. I hadn't started my business yet. And I got into this program and, and the more I thought about this opening ceremony is like a week long thing in, in Austria. It was this big week long seminar. The more I thought I'm not ready to show up in that room of people and feel good about myself. And I don't think it's the right time for me to do this. And it was a really big decision. It was really scary to drop out. And it's not something that I I felt confident about when I did it, but I am so glad that I did. I was not in the right place. It was not the right time for me to do the Master of Wine. I don't think I would have been happy trying to do it. And I don't think I would have been, I don't think I would have rocked it because I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. And this time around, it feels so different. Um, I know that I deserve to be in that room. I know that I'm going to rock it and it's going to be amazing. I, it's, it was really, um, a good decision not to do it then, but I'm very happy and I hope to do it now. I hope that I, I get in again. I think I will. I'm hoping, <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah. It's funny that it, it wasn't really even a setback. It was just like, I was ahead of myself at that point. I, I had been chasing prestige and doing it for the wrong reasons. And I just realized I was like, wow, this is not making me feel good. I'm not excited about it. It's not the right time for me. That's so important. I'm so glad you touched on that because it is so important to know, you know, maybe this is the right step, but it's the wrong time. And yeah. it takes so much looking inside and, you know, having conversations with yourself and debating where your life needs to go to be able to make that decision for yourself. Because like you said, you were chasing that prestige and that is one of the highest levels and it, it seemed like the right step, but something just felt wrong. So it that is the highest level. That is it. There's nowhere to go after that. <laughs> I do yeah. want it, you know, but it wasn't, uh, it, yeah, it wasn't the right time. <laughs> have you ever seen, I'm sure you have, but have you ever seen the movie Psalm on Netflix? The Psalm movies? Yes. So I haven't seen those movies and I'll tell you why. Because I don't care what some dudes in San Francisco are drinking. Like, I don't. First of all, I'm not a psalm. I don't work in restaurants. And that is, so the master psalm is the American version of my qualification, but it's a very different test. And honestly, I don't think it's, I don't think, I think it's really like, I think it's much more of a club. It's an uh, oral exam. 
So you're standing there in front of people that can see you and like know who you are. It doesn't feel like a legitimate exam circumstances to me. And I know that that's going to piss off people that um, are really into that. And a good friend of mine has just been through it twice and she failed, which is, which is ridiculous because she's amazing and she knows her shit. And, and it's just, I, I don't know. Love that you brought up the exclusivity that the wine teacher seems to bring, because that was one of my next questions is that wine seems like it is something that's only for a certain group of people. It's very exclusive, but one of your big things is saying that ignore the wine snobbery, ignore that exclusive club mentality and come learn about this industry. So really what advice do you have for someone who wants to get into the wine culture, but isn't sure where to start because they're so turned off by this whole exclusive club aspect that it seems to bring. I mean, it's super annoying. It's super sexist. It's super classist. It is really frustrating. And and now even, it's not even just like that it's, you know, rich old white men telling you how to drink, but there's hipster versions of it too. There's, it, it's a lot of men telling you what to do in this, in this scene. And it's super alienating and it's, um, yeah, it is really snobby and that sucks. And it's something that really has put me off. And it's one of the reasons that my life, you know, collapsed at the age of 30. Cause I, I couldn't work in this industry with all these people in this, this circle jerk of, you know, I know more than you do. It was really a horrible and toxic environment. And talk about me too. I mean, you put power and alcohol and men and women in the same room and you get, you get some hashtag me too. Um, every single woman in the wine business that I know has some really messed up stories, <laughs> but I think the best way to, sorry, I really went off on a tangent there, but wine snobbery is something that in some ways is very real in the industry. I think for consumers, it's a little bit more made up in your head. It's that you don't feel confident because you don't understand this language. And so you think that you're being judged, but you're probably not being judged. The person at the store should not be judging you. The person at the restaurant should not be judging you. Their job is to help you. and they really shouldn't, they should not be judging you. The truth is though, that there is a vocabulary around it. And it is a world that has truths to it. I mean, there are these regions and there are these grapes and they do belong together. And there are things that are learnable that you have to learn. And if you haven't learned those things, it's very, very difficult to understand, but it's not impossible to learn those things. It's not harder than eighth grade history class. I mean, it's really not. It's like memorization. It's not a big deal. If you want to feel confident about wine, you just have to learn about it. And it's a super achievable thing. It's a really achievable thing to learn. It's not like it's impossible to learn. It's not like plenty of people don't learn about it, but it does require a little bit of effort and some practice. Yeah. I think you touched on something super important too, that you know, wine, and you said this right in your opening, wine has all this history to it. And really my love of wine came from being abroad in Italy. So mm -hmm. I spent a summer abroad in Italy and that's when I understood the culture and I understood why their grape was what it was and what super Tuscans were. So it was something that my love of it was fueled by the culture and the story that the wine tells. So I feel like if people are approaching it from that angle, right, they're approaching wine from an area that can teach them something about history, about culture, about terroir, about, you know, the culture and everything that goes into it, it becomes super fascinating and it doesn't seem as exclusive. It's super interesting. And it, 
and the thing is, if you're not into history, the history doesn't have to turn you on. It can be chemistry. It can be technology. It can be marketing. I mean, the marketing uh, in that goes on in the world of wine is super interesting. It can be about anything, really. Um, for me, I'm really interested in history and politics. That's the, you know, I studied archaeology. That's what does it for me, for sure. I think that the thing that people get really hung up on, they get really hung up on grapes, uh, which is unfortunate because the major international grapes are a handful of French grapes. And there are so many grapes in the world, including, you know, Italy, which is a minefield of crazy, unpronounceable grapes. Mm -hmm. And the really important thing is not the grapes, it's the place. It's about the place. And once you are in a place that makes wine, like in Tuscany, right, that's when you you understand that because you're there and you get it. You get that this wine came from a place. It is a postcard of a moment in time. It is literally a year put into a bottle, a year in a specific place put into a bottle. That's what wine is. That's what makes it so special. And that's why there's so many different kinds. But if you learn enough about the main regions and the main grapes and a little bit about winemaking, then when you see a new wine, instead of being afraid of it, you're like, oh, what's that? And that's a hump you can get over really easily. I mean, that is basically my goal in life is to help people get over that hump, to go from being anxious to curious. I love that too. And I'm graduating college. So I'm graduating from Virginia Tech this afternoon, actually. And oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. And um, across the street from campus is one of my favorite wine bars. It just opened and it was actually started by a wine professor at our university. So I took his class and it got me asking the whys. I, it just really had me embrace curiosity and his wine bar is very similar is every month they bring in a new region, a new country. And you can go in and ask a waiter, hey, I see this one. If I don't know how to pronounce it, I feel comfortable saying, how do you pronounce it? What's the grape? What's the history behind this? What do you think of the taste? And there's something so freeing about being able to ask those questions and not feel yeah. like an idiot. And I think yeah. that's kind of where this culture is evolving to very, very slowly. But I think it's where it's getting to. I mean, you do. So you have this basis of a little bit of wine vocabulary, right? You took this class. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think, you know, I, I have been well. So my business until COVID was welcoming tourists into my my apartment in Leon, and I would do do a big wine tasting presentation of all the local wines. And so many people are afraid to ask questions, but you know, you don't emerge from the womb having this vocabulary. You have to learn it somewhere, right? So you took a class and you learned the vocabulary, and then once you have a little bit of vocabulary, it's a lot less scary to ask the questions because when they respond to you, you actually know what they're talking about. You know, when I say the word body, you know what that means. But for a lot of people, they hear this word, but they don't actually know what it means. And that is really basic vocabulary that is very easy to know what it means. You can Google it right now and you will say, oh, okay, I get it. Body is the texture. It's the, it's the weight of the wine. It's the viscosity, right? It's not, it's not a really difficult concept to understand. But if you've never actually taken the, the time or the minimal effort to, to Google it or to learn it, then you're not going to know that stuff. But the learning, of course, is super fun because you get to drink. And I think one of my favorite things too, and one of my favorite ways to learn, and you might have your own tips too, that you tell people who attend your classes, but my favorite thing to do is to sit down with a glass of wine and a tasting sheet that you just get off of the internet. You just go and download one off of Google and you sit down with a tasting sheet and you go through, okay, where was this wine? Okay. It was in Australia. So you mm -hmm. start putting together, okay, it's going to be acidic. You know, it might, it might be fuller, but like you start making those connections in your head and you write it down on your tasting sheet as you're drinking it and slowly Absolutely. you start to learn more and more about it. Oh, 
you have to take notes. So taking notes is something that when you're starting out is essential and doing it with a pen and paper is better than doing it on your phone because of, you know, learning theory that has nothing to do with wine. Um, it's the only way that you build your own vocabulary. But I would also add to that that, the, that comparative tasting is essential. So it is way easier to learn what's acidic and what's not when you have two different wines in front of you. So it's much easier for me to say, this is dry, this is not, when you have two wines in front of you. And your brain remembers that a lot better. When you have more than one glass in front of you, it's a lot easier to actually pick up the differences and to start developing your own vocabulary. It's all about your personal vocabulary and the spectrum of things that you're experiencing in your glass. And so when I do tastings, we, I talk about this and, and we do compare, we go back and forth. And that's, it was such an essential part of my education doing blind wine tasting where the, I don't know what the wine is. That's all I have to go on is what it's actually telling me in the glass. And when it's lined up against two other wines, it's a lot easier to say, this one's fruity, this one's not, this one's light, this one's full. It's a lot easier to do that when you have things to compare. So I think comparative tasting is super, super important. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And when you were talking, it brought me back to one of my first wine classes and my professor had us pick up a little bottle. So he laid out everything in the front of the classroom and had us go and pick out one of each. The first one was black tea. Then there was mouthwash. Then there was, I think it was some kind of candy. It was either an M&M or a Skittle or something like that. And then there was a lemon. And what he had us do was to taste the black tea, to understand what tannins taste like, to do the mouthwash for the alcohol, the sugar for the sugar, the lemon for the acidity, that kind of thing. And really from the get-go, before we even started tasting wines, understand these different flavor profiles that can go into the wine that give you, you know, the mouthfeel, the tannins, all of those things. Absolutely. And I mean, I think all that stuff is super, super important. And if you actually care and you want to learn, you have to spit. So, you know, you can't learn anything if you're drunk. <laughs> so if you actually want to learn about wine, you have to spit. You know, it's a small glass you pour yourself. You only have to spit that one glass. Like, analyze your wine. Take a little note. If you're doing comparative tasting and you're having six glasses, you definitely have to spit. Um, you can buy a little spittoon. You can just spit into a mug. It's a little bit gross at first, but you get used to it. And it is something that is important, I think. I'm sure. Did you have to spit in your class? We had like itsy bitsy wine tastings, like okay. little, little tiny tastings each time. Okay. <laughs> it matters mm -hmm. if you actually like don't want to, you can't be, you can't learn and get drunk at the same time. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. Yeah. We can try, but. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a, we did have a bucket, a spit bucket in the middle of the table and yeah. no one, no one wanted to do it because they That's didn't funny. want to roast to everyone else. So it was, it no, was. No, I know. Everyone has to be doing it. Everyone has to be doing it. Absolutely. So we touched a little bit on your events and really what your company is. And I know that COVID really kind of threw a wrench in that because people aren't really traveling right now and looking for these in-person experiences. But what could an attendee, so once this all passes and they're traveling to the area and they're interested in doing something like this, what can they expect when they attend one of your events for the first time? Um, well, my tastings are amazing. So basically... You walk in a big, beautifully carved wooden door that is sort of randomly in the middle of this little shopping street up in Leon's very cute Quahus neighborhood. And my building is sort of old and musty, like all old European buildings. And then you come into my front door when, and you see my gorgeous apartment, which is a converted early 1800 silk factory uh, loft apartment. You can see my bed. <laughs> it's pretty funny. 
um, but I have huge ceilings and I have my table fully set. Everyone gets six wines, three whites and three reds. There's a big cheese board with meat and bread and um, very small groups, eight maximum. And I talk you through all of our local wines. It's really fun, you know, lasts about two hours. Do we do it in the afternoon? Uh, but I, you know, tourism is in a coma and I don't think it will be coming back in a long time. So it's been very sad for me. I love my business. I love having guests. I love meeting new people. I really loved actually shifting into wine tourism was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of my career. So it's been really tough. But, you know, the second, the, really the second quarantine happened and I really realized, I was like, this is not going to get better for a while. I did a big left turn and I launched, well, I began the process of launching an online wine course. So I actually announced it last night that I have an online wine course that I am creating. It's called Everything You Need to Know About Wine. And it is going to be a comprehensive course built for the internet uh, for people who want to learn more about wine. And it is going to be a lot about comparative tasting. And I actually have a really cool tool called Repour that is going to be part of the package and I'll send you them. And basically it means that you can do your own comparative tasting at home. It's like a little stopper that um, absorbs oxygen. So you can open up six bottles and keep them open for months. It's really cool and total game changer. Like it means that I can actually do this course where, where I don't have to send you wine, where you don't have to be worried about wine wa being wasted. Like you can get your own wine, you can keep it forever with this little thing I give you. And then you can go through this program and learn about winemaking, about wine regions, about wine grapes. So I'm super excited about it. I'm still building it, but it's gonna go live uh, in a month. So I'm pumped. I'm super, super pumped about it. I think it's really exciting. As a college student, you know, a lot of us are looking for the best value wine. And one thing that my professor has said, and I know I'm, I'm going to have to give him a shout out once this episode goes live. But one thing he said is that a good wine isn't valued by how expensive it is. It's, you know, other things that go into it. So can you talk about your favorite budget friendly wines that are totally worth the value? So absolutely. I totally agree with your professor a thousand percent. Great wine does not have to be expensive. I actually just did a webinar on this last night uh, called Five Tricks Only the Wine Geeks Know and How They'll Save You Money. So I'll make sure to give you the link to that. But um, there are a lot of great cheap wines. I think, you know, some of my big takeaways are always going to be that if you haven't heard of it, it's probably better value. The famous places have more name value, so they can be more expensive. Um, think about Think about the place itself. Is the cost of living high? Is the land really expensive? Napa is expensive, right? You know, central Spain isn't. Um, think about think about all that stuff. In terms of specific places, there are some pretty hefty tariffs right now in the USA on European wines, but normally uh, Spain is really good value. Spain, 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 a million percent. Uh, Southern Italy, Beaujolais in France tends to be really good value. Eastern Europe, Croatia, Greece, those make they make amazing wines and South Africa. American wine tends to be really expensive. So it's hard for me to give you recommendations on North American wines because they are really expensive. Uh, generally, I mean, it's hard to get good American wine for less than 20 bucks, I would say. But South America, Argentina, Chile, for sure. I mean, the biggest, the biggest tip, if you want to actually control your budget and know what you're doing and get good stuff for the right price is you have to just learn about it. That's the answer. The answer is taking the time to invest in a, in a little bit of wine education because it serves you for the rest of your life. It doesn't go away. You only get deeper into it 
But the actual learning that needs to be really structured, that's at the beginning. After that, it's, it's you're learning all the time, you know? Once you get the vocabulary down and understand the basic regions and grapes and the, the basic premises of winemaking, then it's easy, you know, then it's just fun. And mm -hmm. it's, and it's always spreading, you know, it's, it's a spider web that the center is this basic vocabulary, these basic concepts, and the world is everything else. Yeah, I think it's so important that if you want a good budget value, you have to look outside of those name brands that are jacking up the prices because they know they're a name brand, right? You have yeah. to look into wines that maybe make you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe you can't read the label. Um, <laughs> that's definitely where the budget is. And I completely agree with you on that. Um, also trust your local wine shop. Yes. Finding a good local wine shop is huge. They'll help you through it as well. They'll ask you what your budget is. They'll ask you what, you know, what you prefer in your wine. Huge, huge opportunity to learn. Absolutely. I know I said before that my love of wine came from Italy. And one thing that they do in Italy is they pair their wine with their food so perfectly. So Italian yeah, wine goes perfectly with Italian food, which makes me a huge advocate and lover of food and wine pairing. So just out of curiosity, what is your all-time favorite? And this is a hard question. Your all-time favorite food and wine pairing? Oh man, that is a hard question. It's impossible. I don't have a favorite wine either. Everyone always wants me to tell them that I have a favorite wine, but I don't. I just don't have one. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I love all wine. I think a great pairing is champagne and brunch i mean come on like fish and chips and champagne is really good bubbly mm -hmm. wine with something greasy really expensive wine with pizza you know <laughs> that's that's what i'm into i think that that is that's that's the way forward that's what i'm into i i like i like having fancy wine on normal days you know not every day on a bad day when you've had a bad day that's when you should open up a fancy bottle of wine. It's not, it's not when you are at a party with 20 other people. It's not at Christmas with your family where you are only going to get a tiny sip of it. It's with your fr one friend, maximum one or two people, two people max. And you have a really great bottle over some pizza. That is mm -hmm. the dream. Absolutely. I can get on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the questions I love to ask anyone who comes on the podcast is what is a book, a resource, or a podcast that you love and want to share with the audience? So in general or about wine? <laughs> well, I mean, see. either one. If you have one for each, I think that's perfect. Let's see. What do I like? Um, I am listening to a few podcasts right now, but my favorite podcast is My Favorite Murder because I'm a weirdo. I love that um, <laughs> Are you a murderino? Awesome. Yes, I love that podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. And in terms of wine resources, I think if you're going to buy any wine book, you should buy Jancis Robinson and Hugh Johnson's The Wine Atlas. That is a great book. And it has maps and it's really a beautiful, big coffee table book. Okay, perfect. And, you know, lastly, where can the audience find you if they want to connect with you? So I am on all channels, including TikTok now, at Wine Dine Caroline. So that is me. My website is Wine Dine Caroline. My Instagram, I'm on YouTube. I have weekly wine videos where I share really practical tips. And yeah, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, apparently. Trying to be cool. We'll see if it sticks. 
And that is where I'm at. I'm uh, very available. I have a Facebook group as well, Learn Wine with Caroline. And you can find that through my Facebook page, which is Wine Dine Caroline. So very consistent. <laughs> well, perfect. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on today and taking the time to talk a little bit about your company, wine, um, the wine industry, and all of that fun stuff, especially with you know all the craziness that's happening in the world right now. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Innovator Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review. If you know someone that would be a perfect fit for this podcast that I should interview, please email me at theinnovatorpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at theinnovatorpod. Please take care of one another and practice social distancing, and we'll see you next week on the Innovator Podcast.